Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read and Weep, you guys. Season four, a soft evolution of the podcast, sort of like when a monkey becomes a slightly taller monkey. Uh, we are three guys with perfect opinions about uh, movies and TV and culture. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording from beautiful North Koreatown, Los Angeles. And I am joined uh, from Southeast Portland. He's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 on Twitter. And what we want to know is, is he a good witch or a bad witch? It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Uh, I like to think that magic is really neutral, you know. I'm more of an energy guy anyway. Whoa. You know, I'm more You're of a, a woo-woo witch. Yeah, you know. You're a hippie like, witch. Yeah, exactly. I'm a real sort of <laughs> uh, uh the technically the term is a gray witch. Oh. You know? I like that evolution. <laughs> Why are there no gray witches? Um also joining us he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd from the woods of Arkansas. Nobody can restore his beautiful wickedness. It's Hunter Donaldson. Hey y'all, it's me. I'm, I'm the wicked ditch. <laughs> ditch of the West, that's me. I like it. Uh, only in that voice. It actually sounds much worse than you say in your normal voice. Yeah, um, I know. I know. Uh, before we start today, I want to send a quick shout out to our fabulous meat buddies. In particular, I want to thank Carrie, who just switched over from two systems ago to our Patreon. Uh, Carrie has been supporting us since 2016. And said this along with the donation, your podcast, especially Film School, was such a comfort this last year. Aww. Can you guys imagine being a comfort to somebody? Isn't that weird? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the podcast is a comfort to me, too. You know, that's, yes. that's why I'm here to get that comfort, you know? Um, not as You're good of a You're vibing off my right. secondary comfort if you like this comfort. <laughs> I think that's been true for me as well. I actually look forward to the show, um, which I haven't always done. Sometimes it's felt more like work, but recently, especially, I've felt like I'm excited to get to hang out and do it. And uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, we'll thank you for sharing in our comfort, Carrie. And if you want to support us doing this thing that we're doing for ourselves, you can join them and help keep the show limping down the tracks by going to metreon.com. And we really appreciate all of our meat buddies and their support of the show. Season four. We are talking about three segments, as always. Uh, coming up later, we're going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz. And the classic season four pivot. The three segments yeah. for season four. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Wizard <laughs> of Oz and then later uh, menu etiquette. But first, we are talking... Uh, we're going to do a special... We're going to do a different segment this week. This week, for our first segment, we're going to be doing an episode of Show and Tell. Uh, which, because it's audio, is really just tell and tell. So that's yeah. what I call it. This is our segment, Tell and Tell. So each of us is going to have five minutes to teach the others about one thing. And the goal is to make them care about it. That is my structure. You guys can ignore that as you see fit. Oh, totally. Um, I assume you will, Hunter. Anthony, do you have a tell and tell for us today? Uh, no, I don't. So here's what <laughs> happened. <laughs> I'm sorry I threw to you yeah. first. We should have discussed. No, I'm glad we did this because we can kind of spread my time evenly. I, 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 uh, I had this real situation where everything that, like anything I thought I would find that I kind of like was interested in or thought I had a cool angle on, you just kind of, in the world of 2021, if you scratch anything too deep, you find something horrific right underneath it. And I just kept having that experience uh, with anything I would think to bring you guys. Totally understandable. Um, it was just always like, oh, this is a funny story. Oh, wait, the guy who said that is a uh, 
a, uh, a provocateur of hate speech. Cool, nice. Uh, you know, it's just Wait, what sort of stuff can you can you without being maybe I don't want to get too sad, but can you give me an indication of what sort of things you're talking about? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. It was all defeating uh, one right after yeah. another. Uh, but yeah, I didn't see anything, and I liked. I would like to take my a uh, little bit of my time to just like you know rather than going out there and just finding horrible things on the internet. Why don't we all just take a moment to like stare into nothingness and realize how that's almost as good as the horrible yeah. content around us. All right. Yeah. I'm open right. to it. Yeah. 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 So if we could just take a moment to sort of think about nothing. Do we, do we want to maybe save this moment or like, cause we're, I mean, I think podcast structure wise, this would be like the prologue, right? So saying. like if we took a moment now, I think yeah. it would kind of kill the, the tiny bit of momentum we got That's building and we gotta basically That's start over. As, as the podcast ends, please remember to just not run right into the next episode, but take a pause. I yeah. got an idea. What if yeah. we let this could be a choose your own adventure thing? Audience, when you feel like it, just pause the episode, just turn us off. And then just take us a minute and then and then turn us back on. What about that? Interesting. That's mm. a little bit of an honor system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have to. If you're listening you, right you now, you do know, have to. I will add one minute of blank at the end of this episode. Um, so if you're like in the shower oh, and can't reach the fast forward button. And I just want to say no, no double dipping. No, like your partner asks you a questions while you have headphones in. Oh, so yeah, you, you can double bill for your moment and you pause yeah. it to answer her and count it as your moment. No, you, this has to be an entirely clean moment. You know, if you're driving, stop right where you are. Mm-hmm. Close and your take eyes. a moment of silence. Yeah, yeah. Pull over, then close your eyes for sure. Don't keep driving with your eyes closed. So you shouldn't drive with headphones on. That's very rude. You should really. That's, uh, that's such a good point. Use your radio um, like a normal person, Jeff. Uh, I have. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna how about i'll go now for my tell and tell um so before i tell you the story i want to issue a mild trigger warning so skip ahead uh five minutes on this program if you do not want to hear God a damn. brief reference this is a long assault in in regards to a bucket great okay, okay. so people were stuck around Alex's wiki hole today for tell and tell. Allow me to tell you about the rape of the bucket. So uh, I'm actually I'm going to open this wiki hole by telling you something. This is about something I learned from an old Jeopardy episode, which is currently on Netflix. They had this great series that we were watching and uh, from 2017. And this is from the November 9th episode. And the category was Italian food for 400. And the answer was this Italian ham is mentioned in the classic 1622 Italian poem, The Rape of the Bucket. Oh my God. And we paused the episode and we're eating dinner, watching Jeopardy, having a nice time. And we looked at each other and like, did, did he just say that? Did Alex, what could Alex have possibly meant? And to use that in the context of a question about ham, what the fuck is going on? So, um, I, uh, uh, I, and when I asked my wife uh, if I heard correctly, all she said was, there's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. And <laughs> that's because she's much, much funnier than me. Uh, but so what the heck is this classic 1622 poem about assaulting a bucket? Have either of you heard about this? 
No, I have no idea what, I, what I, Anthony's I, talking about. I have not heard of it either, and I just want to say I'm really glad that of all the ways this could have come up in Jeopardy, that it was a question and not just in one of those, like, so tell me about yourself, contestant <laughs> segments. I hear you have a collection of wooden buckets. Yeah, or if, and then Alex was just like, oh yeah, I can tell you what you can do with those buckets. <laughs> <laughs> so back to work. So um, the poem is, of course, La Secchia Repita by Alessandro Tassani, and it runs to 400 pages. So I did not read this entire poem about this terrible thing that happened to a bucket. So uh, I didn't read the whole thing, but I did read the uh, English translations introduction. And here's what it is. This poem is meant to be funny. So the name is also kind of a joke. Um, It's basically this poem is a parody of heroic poems like the Iliad. It's like, but about like the dumbest war that's that's ever happened, which is the war of the bucket. So this 1622 poem is an Italian guy who wrote a very funny uh, fake, like with that, like it's a stupid battle, but then it's like silly and grand. It's a grandiose, heroic, but dumb. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is, of course, you might ask the war of the bucket. Great question. Uh, A battle fought between rival Italian city states, Bologna and Modena in the 1300s. And uh, there's, people believe mistakenly partially because of this poem it was fought over a bucket but it wasn't the bucket was just the trophy sort of like when two rival high schools like they're like oh whoever team wins the game this year gets the bucket it's like that but with this but with war and so after uh modina routed bologna they took this v- apparently a very nice bucket and they brought it home and they put it in the 14th century equivalent of a trophy case they hung it from the tower of the local cathedral cathedral uh the torre delia Girandina, Girlandina. Anyway, so very long story about a war uh, and a bucket and a very funny poem, apparently, if you have a 1622 sense of humor. And that <laughs> is The Rape of the Bucket. And to answer your question, prosciutto. <laughs> prosciutto was the ham mentioned in that poem, and you would have gotten $400 on Jeopardy. So that is my tell and tell. Uh, you have a hear about something and it just like reframes your like even your understanding of the modern world in a way you didn't expect it like <laughs> like what everything you said like about that story it just reminded me like um oh yeah like there's always just weird communities of people who want to write way too long things and show them because that's like you think that's very much just the modern internet thing of someone writing you know you hear about someone wrote like a 900 page mario fan fiction where everyone everyone comes on luigi's face you know and it's just like who would read this and it's just that's this is what that is but It, it it is like that um I mean, that's not quite that, but yeah, it's like just the, apparently humor has always existed. And this a person with humor and a lot of time could write the idea of a fake heroic poem is very funny to me. It's like writing in this style, but then like over something stupid, I think is very enjoyable. Um, and the idea of being like, I'm going to mock modern Italian society by writing a poem about 300 years ago when somebody fought a war over a bucket also very enjoyable so i yeah it's it's good to know that this kind of weirdo has always existed i think it's a great takeaway from that um but also i'm not sure i would have used it as a jeopardy clue that's me yeah that's what i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) um it was 2017 it's a different time hunter what is your tell and tell for this week 
yeah so this is i i i after that weirdness you just presented uh this feels pretty tame i was gonna just talk about a movie i saw recently that Please. we we wouldn't talk about on the show it feels like mm-hmm. um but so let me tell you about so i watched uh and I don't know why I watched this. I actually wasn't even interested in it at first. And then by the end, I was crying. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the documentary Feels Good, Man, which is about oh, Pepe about the, the Frog. frog. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Pepe, uh, I'm sure a lot of people kind of already know, but just to sort of uh, freshen, you know, freshen you up, catch you up on Pepe. Pepe is a frog comic cartoon frog uh, that has been very popular on the internet basically since uh, the 2000s. And uh, originally, it was just like a goofy cartoon by this guy uh, who's very like, he's very like just a chill dude kind of guy. He's like a stoner, right? Uh, Probably. It's very much like the comic was very much like stoner comic type uh, comedy. I guess I meant the frog. Isn't Pepe the Frog a stoner? I don't even know. Okay, like the, but the, the stoner-like. The the documentary is so focused on the like social and cultural uh, impact <laughs> of just this frog that you don't really learn anything about like what the comic is like normally. There's like no time for that because Pepe goes so deep. Yeah, uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why was because there was so little there there yes. that it allowed people to you know pent and like you know repurpose it everywhere they wanted to you know right and and obviously like uh a lot of people you know our age grew up with the internet and so there were like a lot of things in this documentary that i didn't realize even had to do with pepe so like in the pepe comic that is famous uh his line is feels good man which is why people say feels good man a lot and then i realized that that is connected when people say feels bad man they're doing a play on words of feels good, man. Yeah, and yeah. I, it took me this movie to realize you're, you're that. You're doing an connected. inverse Pepe. Yeah, I did not realize that. Um, but anyways, so Pepe the Frog, just a silly thing on the internet. Um, 4chan gets really into Pepe the Frog. Uh, later, the internet at large tries to get into, like, everybody loves Pepe for some reason. And there's this thing that happened where, you know, these these weirdos on 4chan were like this is ours and so they decided to make pepe uh, like a nazi and an evil symbol uh that hard right turn hard right turn and then pepe like helped donald trump get elected basically and donald trump became pepe and pepe is trump and i think it's because of everything going on right now that uh, this is it's the kind of thing where it it didn't i didn't think i was gonna cry but it's weird how uh, important Pepe is, and uh, I never really thought about it much. So I, I kind of just want to recommend this documentary. It, go, it, go, it talks about the entire journey of Pepe from the beginning to alt-right symbol to, like, where Pepe is right now. I mean, because obviously the, the creator not, does not want right. Pepe to be an alt-right symbol, basically. Right. So, and, so where is Pepe now? Um, well, so... I really don't want to ruin it, but oh, and it's like something I knew about. Um, but there, in 2019, uh, Pepe popped up in some interesting places, uh, unexpected places, and there are signs that maybe uh, this frog 
does not have to just belong to the alt-right. And I know this sounds so weird. It's like, why is it important what this... <laughs> it's like people fighting over the Mickey Mouse symbol. It's like, who cares, really? Um, but... It 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 does feel like it uh, like it matters in that if we can uh, if if we can sort of take Pepe back that will be uh, powerful because people really respond to this frog man like I, mean, I don't know why it's the the like the most not the most upsetting thing about how shitty um, racist and superior people who like genuinely believe in superior race like ideology mm-hmm. is that so much about their culture and personality and their iconography is stolen from other groups like if you're the superior race and like the swastika wasn't invented by the third reich that was a symbol that listed long before that skinheads were a jamaican rocksteady rastafarian movement uh, mm-hmm. Pepe, like you know, it's besides the fact that you always look at like white supremacists. I used to be an Egyptian god. Yeah, you look at white supremacists uh, specifically, and you think like you're supposed to be like the genetically superior human being. Like, where's your chin, kind of thing? You know what it's like? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. can't you're not coming up with anything. Everything is just stolen and repurposed. And one thing that's super interesting to me about the internet, but it, and and is sad when it works like this, but is like. This thing's always happened where cultural symbols change meaning over time, but it happens so fast on the internet that you can have something like Pepe where you're like, do you not realize that a year ago Nazi Pepe was ironic and then right. you misunderstood yeah. it and you thought he was an actual Nazi frog and so you put him on your actual Nazi stuff. Like that process happens like that now. Yeah. Well, also there's the whole thing with like um you know, like, people are aware of that, and especially on sort of, like, image board chance culture, where they try to harness that. Like, you right. look at, like, right. the way, you know, the way, like, the OK hand symbol, which has been around forever, the way that right. got yeah. worked into sort of right-wing, uh, you know, hate speech and as a hate symbol was, like, a purposeful thing of that when... Uh, we're just going to ruin this for you? Well, no, what happened was, I, this is for at least my understanding, the timeline of events is, do uh, you remember when uh, incredibly notoriously canceled uh, celebrity Mel Gibson was nominated for Best Director a few years ago? Because, <laughs> you know, cancer culture yeah. is so real. that you out of control, yeah. Yeah, I mean, cancer culture is so out of control, Mel Gibson can only be nominated and be invited <laughs> To the Academy Awards. I just, like, I would be, I would take people who complain about cancel culture so much more seriously if one person stayed canceled. Yeah. Yeah. If it ever, yeah. if it ever worked for real, I would be so much more interested in it. But, like, Mel Gibbs is a perfect example where it's like, we just forget days later. Yeah. And he was, like, very awkward that whole night because, you know, uh, everything <laughs> with him. And he kept doing, like, this okay symbol towards the camera whenever he was on. Uh, it's like, this is this weird tick. And it became purposefully, like, hey, what if we played up that that was a bunch of, like, him claiming to do, like, white-powered symbols. Like, that's what the WP means. And then people started ironically doing it in pictures. And then it became a legitimate real symbol that people wow. use all the time. Now, you know, you see, like, the... In the New Zealand uh, mosque shooter was at his arrangement. 
he kept his hand in the white power symbol the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, like stuff like that, you know? But yeah, it's just, it was like a right. purposeful, like, what if we can take this weird thing Mel Gibson's doing and make it a hate speech? And by golly, those weird virgins in the basement did it. Uh, they, they changed a universal symbol that's been around forever into being wow. uh, like a symbol of hate speech. Right. That's exhausting. Um, so the recommendation is feels good, man. The depressing documentary about a stoner frog that will oh, make a little, there's a little, frog. there's a nugget of hope. In the of hope. Of the movie. Like there, there really is. And, and it, and it, it is, it, I don't know. It, ma- it makes you feel like, you know, sometimes the internet feels like, this thing that that dominates our lives and it enables all of these monsters basically to do monstrous things but the end of this movie makes you feel a little bit like it's not that simple and and it's not over you know what i mean like it's not the the this uh this is not ground that has been uh fully taken at this point and we can still participate and and change the general direction of everything it's it's it's, it's an great, appropriate amount of hope for where we're at right now. Ray of hope I mean, to end how, tell and tell on. How would you guys react, Alex, if one of your bits uh, became very successful, but then became a right wing uh, hate symbol? I uh, gotta say, I would be so surprised first that people were watching it. Right. Just, I'd be like, wow, the views. I mean, that's what happened with this guy. Like, essentially, yeah. he's just like, oh, wow, people like my frog, I guess? Weird. <laughs> Oh man, that would be so weird. Yeah, if I had like a phrase or a character, yeah, I mean, if they were just like vanilla. What's your thing about vanilla? Uh, I mean, it's you haven't seen me do stand up in ten years, so it's a little weird. But um, I still do. I'm still very passionate that the word vanilla does not mean the word does not mean boring. Yeah, ex- um, exactly. People, that's all you need right now. There, you know. Exactly. And it sounds a little yeah, light power when you say oh, it that man, way. I hear it. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> All right, well, we had a ray of hope, and then we dashed it. And that is the segment Tell and Tell. All right, so now for segment two today, it's the homework. And this week, we are talking about the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz, based on the 1900 children's book The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, directed mostly by Victor Fleming, who uh, left to go direct Gone with the Wind because Oz wasn't racist enough for him. (laughs) <laughs> and starring Judy Garland as Dorothy and Terry, the female Brindle Cairn Terrier as Toto. Um, she was actually credited as Toto, like Toto as Toto in the credits. But right, I saw that. Yeah. Terry. Um, and Terry was a good dog. That's weird um, that they did that. That's it is weird because she had a name and it was not Toto. Well, I and mean, nobody would have been like, you know, <laughs> nobody would have seen that and been like, wait, I'm confused. Like. <laughs> The Animal Actor Guild rules are very precise. Mm-hmm. You know, once mm-hmm. she's, it, I think there was already somebody else who had a, a, a dog code. Other dog named Terry. Yeah, had a you know a pet code uh, named Terry, right. and he's kind of fucked it all up. Well, yeah, because you also like um, a a terrier named Terry is a little obvious, and so they might have been like, "You're Toto now. Fuck it. This is your most famous role. This is what you are." The way people call Bruce Willis die hard to his face now, I hope. Mm. Um, let me give you, I know you've all seen this movie at home, but I'm going to give you my micro summary anyway, because in my experience, it was a little bit different than how I remembered it. And I want you to un- understand it as it really is. So in case you haven't watched Wizard of Oz in a long time, 1939, let me catch you up. So Dorothy is a farm girl in Kansas with a cute terrier named Toto. Everybody treats her like absolute garbage. 
They <laughs> tell her she's a stupid coward. They gaslight her about a person who's trying to ruin her life. And they <laughs> ignore her when she talks to them. That's just the Even 30s, when there's nothing actually that much to do. What? That's just the 30s. That's just how people... That was nice back then. During the Depression. <laughs> yeah, they were being nice. In that opening Kansas that, section. That was just how people lived in Kansas back then, you know? Hey, there's this woman trying to kill my dog for no reason. You, what you need to do is have a little bit of heart. I've um, been eating dust for the last three days. Do you think I give a shit about your problems, little girl? Well, so the local rich bully uh, is ha- has claimed that Toto, again, the terrier, has horribly attacked her. And she is so powerful and concerned about this that she gets a legal, legal order from the sheriff to murder the dog. She shows up with a quarter with papers. They're like, I get to kill your dog. And then Dorothy's family is like, it is papers. You know, it's written on paper. So I guess she gets to kill your dog. Anyway, uh, Dorothy and Toto eventually run away. And then they come back to the house. And then a tornado knocks Dorothy out. And she has a concussion nightmare. Now in color. During the nightmare, um, she murders a witch of the house, making her a hero to every little person interested in acting in 1939. Basically. And then they they are so happy. It gives you a great example of how to how you want to live your life such that people don't have pre written celebration songs about your death that they can bust yeah. out immediately while yeah. your body. Oh boy, out. yeah, I didn't even think about the implications of that. Wow, yeah, they've been waiting she on that. Bad life. She worked. She she blew it. The witch yeah. beast. Um, Dorothy then departs on an adventure to meet a wizard who can apparently send her back to Kansas, which witches can't do. Apparently, wizards are stronger than witches in this universe. Um, and it is sticking with the Harry Potter theme that which is just the female gender of wizard. Uh, um, Harry Potter is sticking true. to the Wizard of the Oz theme. Yeah, I know. It's, I, you're right. Right. I, I just that somebody pointed that out to me recently. I'm like, yeah, that isn't what that means. There already is like what you're thinking of. Warlock was the word you wanted. Anyway, um, back to work. Um, along her road trip, she meets the representations of all the characteristics that the terrible people in her life told her that she lacks. She meets Hay with clothes that has no brain, a steampunk robot logger that has no heart, and a guy in a cat suit who has no courage. Um, despite living out his furry fantasy, it seems like he is being very brave all the time, and he just needs to realize that. They dance their way to the wizard, who is a kind-hearted charlatan, who gives them the impossible task of killing another person, and they do on their first try. And <laughs> his response is to tell them that they didn't have any problems anyway, and then float away on his stupid balloon like a fucking douchebag. Dorothy uh, bumps her shoes together, which causes her to wake up from her terrible dream, wherein her family tells her that she's full of shit. And that's the Wizard of Oz. I love that we spent an entire year with Alex summing up Lawrence of Arabia in three sentences. But he spends <laughs> a short novella to sum yeah. up Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He takes some of the most complex films in the mood of in the mood for love. He he nailed it in three sentences. But Wizard of Oz, let's really get into the weeds. Let's really get in. I actually wrote a one sentence summary first, and then I was like, "Nah, this needs the whole version. This needs a long way to go." The point is that a okay. Let me do, let me see if I can do it. So a a bullied farm girl has a concussion nightmare that it's and wakes up thinking it's all her fault the end 
Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, heard that the farmhands are wrong, and she is an idiot. That was right. the thirties. Right. That's what you needed. That's that's the kind of moxie that we be- used to beat the Nazis. You know, <laughs> you have a piece of garbage. You're gonna die soon. I and wish they'd stay beat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's this is actually the the first movie we've covered where if if we do what we're doing right now for the whole episode, that's fine. It no one, everyone knows this movie. They know what it's really about. We can we can. We could act like this is what the movie is really about yeah. for the entire episode, I and sw- no one will miss out on anything. I, s- I swear to God, if one of you two says Federal Reserve, I'm going to reach across the Zoom call <laughs> and choke you myself. I think, okay, so there are definitely things I think that are worth bringing up um, about this movie, but mostly just because they're interesting to me, not because they're necessarily interesting to everybody, but that's one of them. So I have a joke where I quote the myth that this movie has to do with the gold standard, which it doesn't. Oh, right. It has nothing to do with it. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. Yes. That is yes. bullshit. Um, and what is even the theory, actually? Can you walk, it th- walk me through it real quick? Because I've heard that my whole life, and I never actually... Well, yeah. I mean, yes, the yellow brick road. Is that it? Is that all you got? I So there is... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't basically remember what all the color stuff. The green city that every, like the gold and the gold standard. But yeah, it's that was my point. Is that every time someone brings up the Wizard of Oz to get a high five, somebody says, "Well, you know, it's about the Federal Reserve and the gold standard." Right. Uh, well, I will say one of the reasons why. So I did a lot of research about this um, before because I was going to tell that joke on television, and I wanted to make sure I was ready for all the um actuallys I'm going to get. Yeah. And what I, I can't tell you about why that, where the myth came from, which is that um, basically like six months after this book came out, uh, Baum wrote a Broadway adaptation of his own book. And the Broadway version of the wizard of Oz was super topical and zany. So he added into that play, like current politicians from 1902 and like current events and like made fun of them. Wow, and so in the and I think that like in the sixties there was this essay that was like looking at that, and then oh, and then it also became um, editorial cartoons. So because of the topical play, for years before this movie came out, all these editorial cartoons about the gold standard used Wizard of Oz characters because they were so famous. So they would be like, "Here's the Tins Woodsman going to Washington to ask for the silver reserves to be changed or whatever," and so that editorial comic put it in people's minds that it was political when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's just the hero's journey. That's all it yeah. is. Now, yeah. really now the whiz that's political. We can get into the politics of the whiz. I, I have not actually seen the whiz. I should I it's, it's interesting. I mean, Hey, do you want to see an all black version of wizard of Oz starring Michael Jackson and a bunch of other really, really talented singers in their prime? Sold. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. That's all. Michael Jackson's crimes make me like him less, so I don't know that I would enjoy that portion of it. If well, this is a yeah, different yeah. Michael, then you know, and you, you know, oh, okay. But uh, that's an interesting theory. There's um, a lot of weird Wizard of Oz spinoff. Besides the fact that there's you know, a million uh, books that the actual author wrote. Did any of you see? Um, Disney's The Oz, Oz the Great and Powerful, the same no, no. uh, it's 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 not very good, but uh-huh. I want to say it. Uh, so the thing you said earlier about 
uh, don't ever be so evil that the you know, the whole community sings when they uh, they already have written the songs. They don't even have to write songs about your death. That they're just ready to go yeah. with death songs about so, you. Uh, and you know, because this movie's always been very vague about who that uh, you know the sort of the witch was there. Uh, and we didn't never really got to knew, know them, so they finally answered the question of who the witches uh, right. were in the uh, in this prequel starring James Franco. And it turns out not the sister who gets killed by the house, but the main wicked witch. What turned her so evil was she had the horrible gall to be scorned by a man. Uh, so. <laughs> That's, she was a good witch, and then she was scorned, and then became a bad witch. Yeah, so that's literally what uh, Oz the Great and Powerful is about. James Franco comes to town, uh, and these witches played by who are the witches in that? It's uh, the girl from that '70s show. Okay, so I'm seeing Rachel Weisz and yes. uh, Mila Kunis. Yeah, Rachel Weisz is the is the first witch who dies in the Wizard of Oz. Mila Kunis is the main one, but yeah, they. They fall in love with James Franco, get scorned, and turn completely batshit evil. Uh, well, so that's an interesting contrast that it's about scorn because the other backstory, the other famous backstory, of course, is Wicked, mm-hmm. which explains that she turns into an evil witch because she's bullied as a kid. Well, that one, it's not even so much. She's not actually evil. That's like, that leads in more into like the state propaganda type nature of <laughs> wizard of oz right like that is like she's literally the good guy it's the other right. witch and oz who are even in this movie kind of the bad guy like you alluded to like they're essentially people who hire children to do their wet work in state politics uh, uh, which is a pretty weird idea and yeah. like, you know the oz is a giant con man he's a giant grifter and a snake oil salesman he's not uh, even a wizard He's no. not a wizard, as well, far as I could tell from the that's movie. True. In this book, he is just yeah, he's just a good-hearted charlatan. I don't even know when the movie ended. One thing that occurred to me that had never occurred to me before was why is it called the Wizard of Oz? This character is so not really that important. Yeah, the movie is called MacGuffin. Yeah, <laughs> they're just chasing this dude. I mean, what even I- in the end, like okay, so fine. Once we get to the second act, there is a quest. To reach the wizard, and that is kind of the the mm-hmm. narrative thrust. However, in the end, in the conclusion, the wizard does not actually help Dorothy get home. So he doesn't do a goddamn thing. He does no, nothing. He, he is a con man. He is grifting this entire city. Uh, and it's but what does that mean? That the like, name of the story is the yeah. Wizard of Oz, right? But the wizard is bullshit not real i don't i don't feel what that well, means in the I, scope in the story i've always yeah, thought just, it, it goes into the main conceit which is everything you need is in yourself right and that's kind of like one of the things about wizard of oz that i think is like really interesting about we're kind of going into the actual history of how this movie has stuck around and the way like different subcultures pick like a lot into it like i definitely think that mm-hmm. if you like view this through really kind of any kind of modern lens the story structure is so odd and weird but when you find out that like young queer kids who see this and find this story about people who are uncomfortable in their bodies and in themselves right, yeah. looking for something 
outside and then realizing at the end that it's it's in you the whole time. Like there's a reason why that story really relates to certain people. But I do think that this story, kind of my taking on it, has always been kind of like I was saying with that surviving in the 30s type of thing. Like, you can only really depend on yourself. The government's filled with liars. The military will send you places <laughs> to kill uh-huh. things. But, like, uh-huh. everything you actually need to survive is in you. And right. that's the you only person. You had it all along. Yeah, that's the yes. only person you really need to depend on. And if you try to depend on other people, they're just going to send you to take care of their problems. Right. Uh, so right. why don't you just go or sleep? Just pass you off onto somebody else who can't help either. Yeah. Uh, so it's just you know, there's always going to be someone trying to sell you answers and give you like some kind of bullshit purpose but like what you need you already have the trip is like in many ways is actually kind of like an anti-hero's journey like (laughs) you know because the hero's journey is about like you have to go and physically be literally be changed by this right well this is like you didn't have to go anywhere at all like you i mean they might one might argue that she had to go on this she had to leave kansas to realize that she had it was all inside her all along but But her realization of that, when she says, like, there's no place like home, everybody is nicer to her in Oz. Even the witches are nicer than her parents in Canada. So really, this is about indoctrinating a woman into telling her that things (laughs) cannot be better. That's that's the American dream, baby. Obviously obviously not not actually, but it's some in in your read. Yes. Yes. That's how it feels to me. Yes. Um, Um, That that's. Uh, I think that so one. I think it's fun to quibble with a cl- with a classic. Actually, mm-hmm. I think that everything that Anthony just described, hundred percent true, hundred percent in the text for the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion. Dorothy, I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. Dorothy gets magic shoes, uh, <laughs> and then she looks into throwing you water along, as long as you have magic shoes. Yeah, like, and then in the end, so the wizard goes away, and then and then she's got these magic shoes, and she's like, how do I get home? I don't know how. And the good witch has to come spell it out for her. Forget the fact that the good witch could have told her at the very beginning when yeah. she got the magic shoes. Yeah, she had a witch who needed killing. No, had to get here first before I could tell you that. Yes. Um, no, but yeah, I, I think I think the, the, the three, our, our three, uh, our three boys with their problems actually fulfill the 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 point of the story better than dorothy because i'm not really sure i mean dorothy found friends in oz but she had to leave them so right they're probably dead by the time she gets back right and and i get that the point is that she comes back and and her three friends are there because they're the they're the guys but in real life like at the beginning of the story one one thing i thought was like so we are watching a 17 year old girl hang out with like three middle-aged dudes and like is that what is that the is this supposed to be just kind of these are her friends this is all she's got is these three wizard of oz (laughs) is a prequel to uh of mice and men you know those three that's lenny and bruce coming in at the end there (laughs) it's a rabbit phone you didn't know that it's a bunny phone they have there (laughs) i um I guess I think one thing you brought up on it that I think is good is like things we notice now that we didn't notice the first time. That's what a big yes. part about what this is when you're watching something that's a classic like this. Overall, one of the main things was I was I was more charmed than I expected to be. 
So I haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years. And right. it was super charming. I loved it. It's really fun. There's a lot of great things to say. But there are a lot of things, for one, how mean everyone is to her that I hadn't noticed before. Um, some other things, I mean, like, so this is all like in the fun quibbles because I had a good time. But I do wonder about how underpowered the witches are. So the Wicked Witch of the West, like, she can't, she has no power in Munchkin Land. Her monkeys don't really do anything. She does a pa- a poppy smell or a poppy spell, and then the good witch just turns it off. And then she's like, "I'm gonna kill you," but then she doesn't. She just gives you a timer of when she'll kill you later, which is like a classic villain error, right? Um, but well, also, and, and I don't even get what was gonna all. happen with the timer. Like it, it, we're not even given enough information to go off of what. Yeah, we have no idea. And then she dies, but from a bucket of water, and she that was just sitting next to her in her castle like her one weakness and she just had murder buckets everywhere for her right yeah, that right. i've always thought that's the type of thing that like whoever pitched that in the writer's room did not <laughs> expect no one to speak up like he threw that out there thinking like i don't know someone will take it and workshop it and then it's like what well, you just said exact like the bucket thing just like i said i thought uh-huh. that was like clearly a starting point uh yeah, she can't just- can't just have that bucket it's so dangerous we're just, we're just doing that then huh okay um, yeah yeah, that's yeah i funny. mean that's you know like that's the thing about kind of like picking apart especially like a movie that is so so influential and so widely sort of parodied and mocked and pieces of, of course, it are taken yeah. yes. and it is like the you know, like, there were other movies in color before Wizard of Oz, but people right. remember it as the first colored movie. Uh, just yeah. because it does, yeah. like, it does, it has such great use of the, the bright Technicolor sets. Obviously, the, you know, the inf- the infamous and super famous shot of going from black and white to color. Uh, the sets, all the stuff about it, and, like, the stuff that it counts, like, the cinematography, the music, Judy Garland being a singular and unique voice, and like, yeah. and you, and this is like before Hollywood just crushed everything magical in her. To like before they snuffed that out when she still had so much of that energy and things yeah. like that, uh, and she you know, was such a uniquely talented, one of a kind performer who had such a tragic life kind of after this movie, right. which I think yeah. is another thing that like, as people grow up kind of really loving Judy and then so to have their own issues again, easy to kind of map her life onto yours, which, um, so that's super interesting. I, I guess I didn't realize until fairly recently, just how attached people are to Judy Garland still because, um, Judy is buried a few blocks from my apartment. And that lovely old, like one, the huge cemetery is also the only park within a walking distance of our house because of an urban nightmare. And so we have gone for multiple walks in that cemetery and people in Judy's, uh, Judy has a, a, this large mausoleum area and it is just, just full of new memorabilia and people like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. reverently visiting her. And it like, I, I, I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, Toto is also buried near me, p- perhaps, uh, but she, he's actually or she is actually under some freeway somewhere. When they built the freeway, they just built it over her tomb. And so there's a fake tomb in the same cemetery for her. But she's just under some under the 101 freeway somewhere. Um, 
but yeah, I guess people, yeah, the fact that Judy like meant so much to people was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, and I mean she's she's so like in the pocket for this movie, like the way that she plays Dorothy. Obviously, a performance of Somewhere Over the Rainbow is like right, arguably three of the most famous iconic mo- minutes of any film. Like you could pit that sequence up there with any sequence in any movie ever made in terms of like. Yeah. Hundredography and just people knowing what it is. It's um, like tattooed on all your brains, basically. Yeah, and it's yeah. in there. Not to like I was kind of making fun of the people who always point out sort of really obnoxious trivia about this movie, but do you you know how Alex the um the black from black and white two color sequence how they did that? No, I don't actually. Uh very, very clever. It uh is a it was all shot in color. The entire thing, and it's a black and white, uh, not technically black and white, but sepia tone set right. with an actress with sepia tone makeup on the back of her neck. And no a, way! And a black and white wig uh, standing in for Judy, and once the camera passes her and goes out, the real Judy steps in the frame. Right, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, it's one continuous shot, and it's an owl black and white set into a real color set and it's just like that's so clever and it never occurred to me because i thought you would just only do the color on the other or like you could i it i I forgot this was a time when you couldn't just do that real easy yeah compositing yeah well i guess you maybe there was composite shots at this point but it would have to be really crude yes and i mean that was that would at this time would be more of the just like you cover one part of the film negative and film something and then yeah. retake oh, yeah. untake off that part and recover what you already filmed. Right. Just that kind of, like that kind of early compositing. But yeah, no, this was all a real live action shot. And famously, uh the person who cre- uh came up with that, uh old Mank himself, Herbert Mankiewicz. Oh. Uh, was the person who came up with the idea of the black and white to color transition for? Well, that's a cool film school uh, tidbit. Let me share my two bits of trivia with you um, yeah. that I was curious about, and so I looked them up. The first one was um, how did they make those horses that horse so many different colors? And the answer is um, a powder made of lemon, cherry, grape, and gelatin, and then they just covered a horse in it. Uh, so they covered those horses in gelatin. Oh, weird. <laughs> right? Like the, those, the horse have a different color. They weren't allowed to dye the horse because of the SPCA saying that that was too cruel. Right, so instead yes. they just covered them with ground up horse bone. Oh my God. So, which is <laughs> yeah, more like, like feeding, feeding pigs bacon type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't that fucked up? Okay. Now this one's a little bit, this is a little bit more serious, but my, I, I came away with this with the question of, how does the little people community feel about this movie? And oh, I, I don't a, know. I did a lot, right? So I did a lot of reading about this today, and I have some good news and some bad news. Um, so, it, which is to say, there's a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Um, let me do the good good news first. Um, so the good news is it was there were many of the people who were cast in those roles were people who. This is actually uh, there's a good news part first. So in the 1930s, being a little person was really, really bad still where people like were still regularly like treating you like a Ouija board, among other things, or giving you really painful home remedies to make you uh, 
to a more average size. Uh, really, really bad. But there were a couple of people, and the the one that I read about was the uh, he wrote a, wrote a book called Short and Sweet, uh, an autobiography. He's the um, uh, middle lollipop guild guy, I think. But he's when he was cast in the film, when he showed up, it was the first time he'd ever met another little person in his life, and oh, he just wow, yeah. yeah. And so this was it, uh, this was by far the largest gathering of little people at the time, and to people at that meeting formed a group that does advocacy and support that's now called little people of america that they met there like it it did a lot for it the brought community. them together yeah by bringing them together and it's really beautiful and like us like a bunch of people who met in those roles ended up like a lot of people met their partners in that in that movie so it was an incredible thing for a lot of people and it gave give a lot of people their start in acting um it, there's a, there were a lot of benefits to it um some of the bad things uh, include the fact that they were specifically the casting directors were specifically told to bring only white little people. Um, right. Uh, so there, that was uh, that was that part was bad. All, and like the the argument I, that I've read was that like you know she was like a Kansas farm girl. She would not have a dream of black, black little people. Anyway, it's fucked up. Why um, <laughs> even bother with the <laughs> yeah, like justifying the studio's racism? Let's put. Who who are you gonna put the blame on? The studio, the director? No, Uh, eighty-year-old girl is who the problem is. Um, Uh, Well, actually, why would she be uh, her imagination? Right, (laughs) would be white. It's so fucked up. But then the another uh, another thing that was terrible, which is that you guys have probably both heard there are uh, many legends of the debauchery that the little people in the film engaged in. Um, including there was even a movie called Under the Rainbow, which is a mm-hmm. terrible '80s comedy, I believe, about the debauchery backstage at this uh, thing uh, at this and this filming, uh, which is almost entirely not true. It turns out it was right. almost completely fabricated, um, partially by uh, by Judy Garland herself, where she was on the Tonight Show and she said something uh, about how like they were all drunks all the time and the cop drunks all, drunk all the time having orgies and the cops had to come pick them up with butterfly nuts which is not true and also super offensive and that quote has like stuck around in the public consciousness for I, a longer I, yeah. I, I i think uh calling any group of people drunk uh and they fuck all the time i don't think that's offensive that makes sound makes them sound awesome uh so <laughs> I, I, I disagree I mean, with you. Let's, it's a very good joke, but to take it too seriously, the like the thing where people were we were they were being otherized in the 30s and pe- where people thought they were magic is this right. is it's sort this is an extension of that of still otherizing them in the 80s and saying little people are debaucherous and more so they're like they're having more orgies than the average group. As far as I could tell, two of them were fired for drunken disorderly conduct in the hotel, the which o- for a, the only a cast reason- of 140 people is like pretty good. Well, I was just gonna say the only reason I, I would feel kind of okay saying that is because uh, it's ho- Hollywood, you especially fuck? this time, everyone is throwing debaucherous parties. Why can't right. the little people also throw debaucherous parties? Totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, why Absolutely. can't it just be one big party where everyone gets fucked up? That's all I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying. Um, uh hell yeah. I totally, yeah totally i and i like i said I was, that was taking your good joke in yeah. a bad direction but i just thought um it's anyway, it was an interesting read and like uh yeah it was it was more complicated and more interesting than i was expecting 
Um, this has been this has been interesting. Probably not what anyone was expecting the Wizard of Oz discussion to be like, but we're going to wrap it up because I have a couple more things I really want to talk about, and I feel chastened from Hunter making fun of me for trying to think of something new to say about this movie. Well, can wait, I? Did, wait, what? What was that? What what was that I... Anthony? I did. I did not chastise you. If I did, I, I didn't even know. You definitely did not mean it as an attack, and yet I made it defense. I felt defensive. So <laughs> well, maybe I, that's more my skill. I than have one last question for either Perfect. of you, Alex. This Thank is you. obviously a no, Hunter. I don't think I don't know about your uh, proclivities towards drugs, but have you ever been in a situation when someone made you watch uh, Wizard of the, the Dark Side of the Moon? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Were you ever in a situation Wait, where you're being bored by Oz. two different media at the same time? Yeah, yeah, uh, yes, yes. I, I have, I have indulged in, in that, whatever that is. And you know what? It's, it, it works sometimes. Yeah. That's it. That's all there is to say about that. I don't know why people keep going back to that because it's just like, yeah, it seems like uh, obviously. Uh, not on purpose, for sure. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, if you did that with, if you took a thousand albums and right. a thousand movies and started syncing them up, eventually you would find a handful that fit well, right? If you think spacey or ambient or psychedelic, you can just add it to whatever. Yeah, like, oh, there was a cat, and he said, ooh, that's close enough. Yeah, like, it's not even good connections. But also the the genius it would have taken to make that record to have a bunch of markers, but then like no, but it starts at fourteen oh two. That's where yeah. the secret. You have to play the record in this very specific moment. That would be an incredible piece of work. Anthony, did you find yeah. it to be really exciting when you did it? No, I I remember being like, oh, this is novel. I guess. <laughs> uh, also, like, this is a pretty good album, and this movie's pretty neat. Uh, so, <laughs> like, it wasn't a waste of a time. Uh, <laughs> but what you got to uh, do is watch it backwards with the album yeah. playing forwards. Oh my god! <laughs> and that, and then you put on the shining and the like projected over. <laughs> The Wizard of Oz, and you'll get it the all. Yeah, it sinks up, man. Any two movies, and start. You could you could figure out a way to set them up where like four times they would say the same word at the same time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That just yeah, seemed yeah. like str- like the odds are. You ever fucking watch Toy Story while listening to Green Day's Dookie? Man, <laughs> fucking. The shit that matches up. Are you talking about Dookie story? Yeah, Dookie story. <laughs> All right, that's a better place to end. All right, so segment three today is the argument where mostly our listeners provide us with a hypothetical question or one that's really from their life and ask us to take sides. This week from Meat Buddy Joanne. This is maybe a more before times question, Joanne says, but. Do you order by number or pointing at the menu, or do you try to pronounce the menu item regardless of your outside knowledge? Ooh. Do you take a shot on saying something wrong, or do you use some other method, the number or pointing? Uh, I think it really depends on uh, the place, uh, the situation. Uh, Is there... Uh, is there like, uh, am I ordering at a counter or am I at a sit down restaurant? Does the menu have giant pictures and tiny words or tiny okay, so pictures and small words? So you're at a counter. 
Uh, if I'm at a counter, I think you should always say numbers. That just yeah. seems right. Uh, if, I'm... if it seems like they like numbers, if like I've been to places where I try to pronounce something and then they write the number on the ticket and I feel like an idiot. So if it seems like a place that wants numbers, let's just do numbers. I can do that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, like a lot of a lot of Thai restaurants uh, and, and will have like it's like this is 14B. If you put that, you probably want this is your shorthand. This is like when you go to the diner and they're yeah, like, right, right. I want two francs with a with the Jill in the hat or whatever. Um, it's like that. It's like this is your shorthand as numbers. Let's go with that. Yeah, sure. I, I think if you're doing something really specialized, uh, maybe say the name. Like, I think it'd be weird if you were like, can I get a 14, hold the mustard, but extra pickles, plus some frothy onions, plus, you know, right. whatever, never. Yeah, classic uh, frothy onion. Frothy onion. Yeah, I mean, we all we all do that occasionally. <laughs> the worst dessert available at Wendy's is a frothy onion. Frothy onion. Yeah. No. No. I doubt. I general I think my answer in most cases is number or pointing because to me there's like the person who's trying to pronounce something they clearly can't is more cringy mm-hmm. than pointing. I would rather admit that I'm dumb. I guess, but. Also, there's something charming about, like, at least, like, with Italian food, take a big swing. Yeah. I like someone who misses big on Italian food, but with other places, it feels like, look, you're just, if you, like, just make this person's job easier. I would rather say dealer's choice and hope they just randomly pick <laughs> what I wanted than try to say some names and embarrass myself. You know what I you mean? Know, one of my favorite things in the world is saying I'll have what she's having. Mm. Like, just, just taking that element of just... Like just write a two x under whatever that person just ordered. If you if you actually if you get fifty percent of what I was going to order anywhere, I was thinking about anyway. I would love to just do the same way, so we can just make it simpler. I love that idea. So I basically my whole life of interacting with people at work is how can I make this as short as possible, and how can I burden you the least. So that, I think what if the number or just ordering something I didn't even want, I've never sent food back at a restaurant in my life. And I don't <laughs> think I will. I had uh, a couple years ago, uh, we were traveling and I got a coffee at a place and it tasted like dish soap. Oh, my God. Like a lot. No. And so I just said I wasn't in the mood for coffee that day. Like I'm not even not in that even case, coffee. You can I send could, coffee back. That's I went and got coffee at another place later. I was just like, I can't. No. I feel, I'm not going to. I just can't. Even though I know not going to hurt that waiter's feelings. Right. The server right. doesn't care. And the, it's clearly not like I'm. it's not like, oh, I just don't like food this way. It's like this was an accident. Not a big deal. Just came out of the dishwasher with soap in it. Still not a big. Anyway, just didn't have coffee. I mean, so I'm going to give you my perspective on a, as a server on this uh, with what you just said, Alex. Not necessarily the whole thing overall. Um, I I actually liked it when my customers had like like communicated to me that there was something that was amiss, basically. Because what happens is when you're a server and something goes wrong is sometimes people don't tell you, and then they're just. They're, they're maybe they're not intending on sending out cold vibes, but they've got cold vibes now. And now you're like, something's wrong. Yeah. How do I get it out of them? They're not going to tell. And then also, this is maybe going to affect your tip. So yeah. I, 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 I always liked it when customers would give me an opportunity to be so cool about this. Yeah. You know, almost any place would rather fix it and you have a good positive experience than you walk away and maybe give them a bad review to a friend or something. Yeah, okay, right? but here's the thing. And, 
Never going to give anybody a bad review. Right, that's always going to overtip. I mean, so basically, so you will get passive aggressive sad eyes from me. So basically, will, it will be reflected. I'm telling you, though, I would be so annoyed at your passive aggressive sad eyes. I would be like, I wish that man would tell me what yeah. is no, wrong. I, I, mean, I would. I'm here to fix it. I'm not scared so, of whatever went wrong. It's not even my fault. I just brought it to you. Yeah, basically, all you're doing here, Alex, is you're telling the listeners if Alex ever comes into your restaurant, really don't even try. You know, really give the bare minimum, spit in it, pit your dick yeah, in it. whatever you want to do. Fight Club experience. Cuck Alex in front of his coffee. He ain't going to say shit about it. He's just going to sit right. there. He's not going to drink it. Yeah, but... he's going to sit there and fucking take it. Uh, food, yeah, so just, you know, do whatever you want because he doesn't care. Uh, That's so true. That's the, That was the thing with the argument last week was that I will just put up with basically you gotta have standards for yourself alex you I know. know right um i actually have a, a follow-up to that story that i want to tell you in a second um but first any other thoughts on um menu ordering hunter from your oh yeah survey? i didn't really answer the question yeah. uh, i ta- i'm a swing guy i take it i try and pronounce it no matter what unless mm-hmm. unless i'm at like a fast food restaurant in which case it becomes numbers again Obviously, numbers, I, yeah. I will say when i was when i lived in korea um, I frequently messed up mm. and did not really I didn't mind so much because I felt like I felt like and, and maybe this is wrong, but I, I felt like I was like, well, I'm I am trying. OK, I'm in this country and I, I am trying to I'm not good at this. I am from Arkansas. OK, I have an Arkansas mouth and an Arkansas brain. Yeah. but I am trying right now to say these Korean words in 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 your country basically and i i I felt like maybe the effort was appreciated but maybe not i don't know but yeah i'm frequently i feel like korean food in korea it feels like you're trying korea food in koreatown you're wasting my time yeah you need a passport for one of them if you're an american so yeah yeah you're putting out a lot of effort and also it's like it's clear that you are interested in in being a part of this as much as you can you're trying to be you're learning about this this experience whereas in koreatown you're like you could just be like another douchebag who came by and doesn't want to even like doesn't doesn't bother learn the language or whatever if you're in korea like i guarantee you they've heard a even dumber Americans say it worse. <laughs> you know, like no. Well, that's so true. That's one of the upsides to traveling as an American is people expect you to be. Uh, not, they expect nothing of you. So if you are even a little bit nice, it's yeah. Exactly. It, I mean, the to bar you, is so low. No matter how dumb you feel, there's always a dumber American. That's yeah. on the bill of rights. <laughs> that's yep. on the back of a five dollar bill. Actually, so if, you, if you ever feel dumb, no, there's one American dumber. that's a great place to end it we have one more segment don't go away all right so we got to do the business before we go segment a bonus segment for today which is we got a bunch of email and and correspondence that i want to take you through first this is um i guess not technically uh listener mail this is um a gentle chiding i got from my mom on the phone yesterday and also a story. So first of all, my mom will store episode last week because the image in her podcast app was for Soul, and she's seen Soul. She did not expect 10 minutes of long dick Danish talk. Oh, right. <laughs> and so my mom was a little bit displeased with our uh, conversation of Dillermand last week. Um, and so now I have to figure out make sure that it's, everything is properly labeled so that you know it'll be Soul. But first, 
you gotta you gotta get through the dick to get to the soul. Man, I knew Pixar was getting weird. I didn't know they were getting this weird. <laughs> oh, they could yeah. do it. They they God, they slam that story. But my <laughs> my uh, I, I was I was talking to her about the she she didn't realize I hadn't told her the story about my neighbor whose life I ruined. And the thing Jesus, about one of, Alex. one of the things about my mom is that my mom like I I do not have the gene where you talk to strangers. She has that gene. It was it apparently is recessive because my mm-hmm. mom will talk to people, and uh, so I I asked her if she'd ever told people to turn down the music, and she was like, "One time I went into my neighbor's house and turned down her stereo because she was in the shower." That's awesome! Wow, that's really cool. And she fucking left a seven horse head in the bed when she was done too, <laughs> just to let her know it was me. Well, I mean, she did say that they were they never spoke again. So it didn't go great exactly. Um, but she it was when um, she uh, she had a, a young baby uh, of my older sister. So I wasn't quite around yet. And the neighbor had turned on the living room stereo to go take a shower. So it was loud enough. And it's summer. So the windows are open. So she's blasting. And it woke up a baby. And if you really want to piss off a new mom. Yeah. Finally get their kid to sleep. No, you don't wait. I, I mean. She was well within her rights to so she, do that. So she calls. Lady doesn't answer because she's in the shower. She knocks on the door. Lady doesn't answer because she's in the shower. So my mom just tries the handle and goes inside, turns yeah. down the stereo, and then the neighbor comes out of the shower wearing a towel like because she hears the stereo get turned down, sees my mom, and just says, no. And that was the last time they ever spoke. No, Well, I mean, what I, you can say no if you want, but that's mom law right yeah. there. <laughs> I think if you see a stranger in your house adjusting your stereo, no is a perfectly reasonable response. But Not if I it's a mom with... and you know why she's there, okay? Yeah, once you once you understand the situation, this is your bad. Yeah, I mean, and also if, you probably should lock your door. I don't if, know. You know, if me as a dad did that, it's a whole different story. It's not right, nearly true, as entertaining. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Very true. Yeah. Uh, so that is certainly. What something. you're saying is, if if we are ever in these situations, we should send our partners. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I've never heard of a mom being killed in a stand your ground uh, castle doctrine case. <laughs> so I definitely say yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, co- more from the mailbag. Uh, an email from Celeste uh, who says, I'm so happy that Hunter brought up how good Toy Story 2 is on the most recent episode. I've been trying yeah. to spread this message to people for years, and I feel like almost everyone I talk to barely remembers the movie. Another objectively correct opinion from Hunter. Heck yeah. Thank you, Celeste. Isn't yeah. that nice? That came out You're of nowhere. In- too. It's not like we've gotten a lot of emails saying perfect opinion from hunter so celeste is keeping score yeah <laughs> um we had a an email from a regular our regular correspondent david who said uh, a bunch of nice things um but one thing that i wanted to definitely bring up is we got a couple of emails from two weeks ago talking about uh, the streaming wars david brought up a really interesting point that cinema uh, cinema releases also minimize piracy um, and that was missing from our discussion. So, like, advanced DVDs can be watermarked, culpability found. Sure, yeah, dreams, yeah. Not so much. So, uh, and also, another point was that streaming services are global. So, they also erode national cultures by having all of the movies on all of the streaming services in all of the other countries. They're eroding local cultures by spreading the uh, American film gospel too far. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I think, even an even bigger point than the piracy thing. That's almost like that that you get into some some 
weird territory there. I mean, but there is also the is say the the, sort of an upside that there is because even though you think of them, they are they still have different. Every different market has its own Netflix lineup or whatever, and separate distribution deals and stuff too, right? For different countries, but what that does allow, which I I actually kind of wish it was more open, because I think it's kind of lame that somebody, if you're paying for a Netflix thing, but you're really into like I've known some people who are really into like Japanese or Korean like soaps. And stuff like yeah. that. They really like that kind of thing. And the only way they can get them, they're on Japanese Netflix. So right. they have to set up like a VPN and get a Japanese yeah. Netflix account and get all that to be able to watch something that like would be kind of neat if, hey, it's already on Netflix. I'm already paying right. you guys. Why can't I get this content I think, you have? Yeah, because I know that occasionally they do that. Didn't you watch a German show, Anthony, that you mentioned on this podcast a little while ago? Oh, did we talk about Dark? Is that, was it is dark? That yes. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, so, like, it does seem like, at le- well, at least with their original content, it's easier for them to do that. But I, I totally agree that this could be the other way around, where there's plenty of international shows that would be interesting to American audiences. And I, w- I wish that ba- that the border was more porous in this direction. Yeah. I mean, the um, problem is it just mostly goes when the American shows get so yeah. loud that they, you know, blow out any local well, smallest thing. I, I, I don't want to skip over the part though where it's like if if essentially streaming takes over then that's and i mean this it's already sort of the case like this that that's like now the international watching entertainment on screens thing is like basically controlled by a couple american companies like yes, that's that is a problem a for sure for sure um i uh, just to give a very stupid example though one thing that i like is that if there's like if there's a reality show that you like in the US, there's probably a version of that in the UK and in Australia and in Canada that you can watch and it's great. So like I really loved the uh, Lego Masters, uh, the Lego building reality show this mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. Um, with Will Arnett hosting. Terrific fun. And I would I was like, I wish I could watch more seasons of the show. Turns out there's two British series and there's two Australian seasons and they're great. They're the same sk- challenges, but then they build them in a different way and they have different accents. It's amazing. I also, I like Top Chef and I love Top Chef Canada because it's the same challenges, but like sometimes they use seal flipper. Anyway, it's really fun. So I love, I love an international uh, import on, on the streaming services and I wish there were more of them. Um, another, per- another person who wrote in it regarding windowing and libraries, this is from Hannah. Uh, who Hannah, the uh, librarian who has recently, uh, in fact, actually bonus um, thing about Hannah, Hannah recommended a book that I read the email about a little while ago when we watched Dog Day Afternoon. Hannah recommended a book about a bank robbery gone wrong called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. And I finally read it and it's terrific. It's really, really fun. So um, Hannah librarian writes this about windowing and libraries. I work in libraries and windowing is a problem for us too. There are some publishers that won't sell their books, specifically ebooks and audiobooks, to libraries for the first 90 days after publication, which means that if you want to read a new release, you have to buy it or wait three months for the library to get it. In this situation, it's not even an argument about artistic value, like you guys were talking about with like the proper screen to watch a film on, because mm. it's, not the idea, it's not about the ideal way to see a movies in theaters. It's the book is the same whether you borrowed it or bought it. So it's purely a way to stop you from getting this thing for free. Right. And I don't actually. 
I don't I don't understand how library rules work that they can just you can't they can say you're not allowed to buy this and give it to people like I anyway I don't understand how that whole thing works seems like if you're a library you just like you just put on like a hat and a mustache when you go into the bookstore to buy your copy yeah right? you just, I feel like that should work right why not <laughs> I'm sure there's something else to it it's but bulletproof um yeah uh Actually, there's one more. I misplaced this comment now, and I want to make sure I find it. Um, but somebody, maybe I get. Oh yeah, here we go. Oh, it was uh, the same person. So Hannah also mentioned on Facebook uh, that uh, they watched the Great Pottery Throwdown because of Anthony's recommendation. This is <laughs> Anthony. This is your number one most viral recommendation of all time. And Hannah also found the nude model episode to be very surprising, especially because I was watching on a large TV at my sister's house. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that dick must have looked real big. So this is from now on. This is your big. This is your big, big thing. Uh, your big recommendation, and you have to. Uh, you have to be a. We uh, just make sure you mention the dick from now on. I haven't gotten there. That's in season two, right? We only watched the first season, but I think it's in season three. Oh, season three. Okay. Uh, but they also need to make more of it. Uh, there's a long gap between season two and three, and I don't know if they're going to do a season four. So they well, need to make more of it. I hope so. Yeah. Um, last entry from the mailbag. This is for you guys. Um, but is, this has been sitting around for a long time and I'm, I'm, I regret not having gotten around to it earlier. This is from Brian from our infrequently asked questions segment on Patreon. So Brian asks what movie that was shot in color would have been better in black and white oh my god this is a great question and it's so appropriate for this thing i'm glad you think it's great i have no idea how to answer this so please hunter if you have any thought or oh man i don't even know i don't even know where to start i mean okay so i'm trying to think of movies that sort of even the director that there's kind of two versions of them so like the top of my head are like mad max fury road where i think that's a movie that like i i personally love the color version that was yeah, the way it was released that's the way everyone you yeah. gotta have that dirt yeah <laughs> but like uh the director of that of those movies has always said that black and white was how he envisioned it originally mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. they you he, you're not actually answering the question because that it was not a black and white it was black and chrome black and chrome yeah exactly <laughs> but the fact that like like that's a movie that I think is interesting to see that way, and you you know, everyone once in a while you hear about like like Steven Sodenberg famously did this thing to like show to his students where he would take like Raiders of the Lost Ark and make it in black and white and put a different movie's soundtrack over it so that people oh. could just watch it, uh, just to watch the visuals because his whole thing was like. You can entirely understand this story with no audio and no color. Just in pure black and white, the story is still easy to follow. And like stuff like that, I think is really interesting. And I love experiments like that. But I can't off the top of my head think of any movie, unless it's like, if it's like a modern film that's a period piece, sometimes I think black and white might have just gone to like help sell the texture of the world because I'm just used to seeing oh, old true. movies yeah, looking black yeah, and white. I think that the 1930s were in black and white. Yeah, so we like... think that if we were to time travel back to 1910, everybody would be in black and chrome. 
Yeah, um, exactly. That's exactly what uh, you think. Uh, they didn't invent... Well, I mean, you know, I've told you this fact before, Alex, but did you know that before color TVs, most people dreamed in black and white? Uh, I think you did tell me that. I, th- I think that's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's crazy. Um, but, you know, like, so... It goes to show maybe all reality was black and white. Who knows? I wasn't yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, there is like I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Let me uh, ask you the question this way: What does what advantages do you get from black and white? What do you notice in black and white that you don't get in color, or what does color distract you from? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's you know with black and white, it's all about the contrast, and it's all about like. The way that it is, you know, literally reducing the information the eye and the brain is having the process. Mm -hmm. I forget who said it, but some studio executive, when, like, color first came around, said, it's such a shame we were just getting our heads around black and white. uh, And that was going to be lost forever. And in a lot of ways, it was. I mean, I think of it, like, not to always compare everything to video games, but, like... I think, like, growing up, especially in our generation, we were seeing, like, 2D games get really, really good and start to do really interesting stuff. And then 3D came out, and everyone basically abandoned and started over in 3D. And we're just barely now getting the people making 2D games and kind of picking up where they had left off in the late 90s. Uh, So I do think that there's definitely things you get like that. And if you watch, like, you know, especially, like, when you think of it, I don't know if you guys remember, like, Ted Turner's colorize everything phase from the late 90s. No. Uh, it was, like, a big thing. A lot of filmmakers were against it. But in the mid to late 90s, uh, Ted Turner, you know, who owned Turner Classic Movies, a huge movie file, was convinced the reason why people weren't watching old black and white movies is because they were in black and white. So he set out to colorize oh. uh, all the big classics and like destroy the original black and white prints, essentially. See, it's that second part that turns yeah. you into a villain. Yes. So a lot of people were You're very upset. To whatever stupid idea. This is the problem with Lucas. Was He was like, look, I'm going to fuck up these movies I made. Fine. But I'm never going to let you see the originals. Yeah. Now you suck. But he yeah, at least made suck. the movies. This was like taking right, other sure. people's <laughs> movies. And, you know, this was like, and it was like, wasn't just colorization. It was like the popularization of pan and pan and scan, like technology and stuff like that, like changing the aspect ratio of movies. But he was really into that. And it eventually like enough filmmakers made enough noise about it. And it turned out that taking an old slow movie and showing it to like a 15 year old in the 90s doesn't really help it it being in color you know yeah yeah but at least it has this bad color addition yeah but it's an unnatural looking colorful tone it is and i think it's like people are so used to the idea of like uh i've seen this in color now what would it look like in black and white but like if you ever get a chance to find one of these colorized movies which don't look great because they were using like shitty 90s colorization technology yeah but if you are curious to like what black and white really adds and what effect it has to a purpose, like think of a black and white movie, you know, really well, like for me, it's a wonderful life. Like it's a movie. I just know 
back and forth. I've seen it a million mm-hmm. times. I know the texture that the black and white gives that movie. And then like every few years, I'll watch like 20 minutes of it in color. And you just see like the frame becomes yeah. so busy. And like uh-huh. it, the shots obviously won't compiled for black and white because there's things just popping all over the place that mess up like the color balance of the like the scene and stuff like that oh Um, man i'm looking at some colorized images and i hate it yeah and also because you know the whole thing is like that was somebody in the 90s guessing what that was in the background and what color it would be Um, right right so, like, that kind of stuff was really weird. But if that's a good way Maybe to see... Were they doing this with... They weren't, like, with, like, early computers? Yeah, they were d- doing it digitally. They were doing it with computers. They were going through and... Now you could do this probably better. Yeah. I mean, now... I mean, now I you, 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 like... I mean, it's basically just rotoscoping... Rotoscope technology that's been around forever. They were literally just drawing uh, over the frames, you know? But it does, like it does not look normal. It no, looks it, like it looks a colorized black and white film that just were like I don't know. They look jaundiced. It's just not good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's so like that, I said, okay. they're literally painting over the fr- yeah. the frame. They're just painting. Frame painting. Yeah. Um, but that's a good example to see, kind of like the opposite of the question that was asked. But if you do want to get like what black and white adds. Um, right, right. To really understand it is to say, what does colorizing ruin? That's kind yeah. of the reverse. <laughs> Can I, I, I want to jump in here real quick with something. Because I, I, to me, th- this is this is a very good episode to have this discussion. And I love this question. Uh, to me, black and white is inherently. Now, don't don't go crazy with this statement I'm about to say, but black and white is inherently more dramatic than color, because Ooh. if it's in color, you are communicating to me that we are somewhat trying to replicate real life. Real life is not in black and white. So if your movie is in black and white from the first frame, I know this is not reality. This is somewhat either heightened or, or, or different than reality. Color can say, hey, and obviously, like it's maybe it's silly for me to say this on the Wizard of Oz episode where... Obviously, the color was used to great effect to show the the unreality and fantastical elements of uh, of the film. But I'm just talking about like from the first moment of any movie, black and white is automatically almost unreality in some ways. Mm-hmm. Even if the subject matter is like something like Citizen Kane, where it's like essentially a biopic about a specific person. Already, we're in a, a a dramatic place to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's inherent. It's almost like to me, like you know, the way like twenty four frames a second isn't like how we see the world, and it's like yeah. an old holdover from that's just like where they realized the least amount of frames they would have to produce to right. make like a reasonable product off it still most people got sick but you didn't have to spend as much on celluloid yeah and it's but like 24 adds something that is otherworldly and dreamy and we still see most movies shot at that frame rate but it's like when people that's when everyone's like everything should be in color it's the same put of drive that like gets us to like 60 frames per second movies 
And it's just like, I do think eventually that will probably be more commonplace and people will be like, well, I like that it doesn't have that dreamy, unreality thing that move old 24 frames a second movie have. have I think, know? and I don't, I don't know much about this, but this seems like the frame rate is something that is sort of like with switching to digital where it makes sense in the long run in a way that 3D didn't. Mm. That it it might actually feel more normal in a way that like 3D movies never felt normal to people. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think the high frame rate was really odd and I'm not a huge like, I think it like kind of looks cool sometimes, but also is I don't like the way it, when things have that kind of jerky high frame rate motion to it but maybe i'm also not used to it i said it it depends on what it's going to be used for right like i i I think 3d and uh you know changing you know having a higher frame rate they both have the same problem right of like you know alex you like Coraline because Coraline found a way to do something with 3d it wasn't just like here's 3d tacked onto something i feel like the same thing about uh i've never seen a movie i mean i guess the only movies i can think of that even tried to mess with the frame rate with the hobbit movies and those were bad for many reasons. Yeah. And the frame rate was just an inexplicable, like, why? Why is right. this your high frame rate movie? And if you had an idea, then maybe, may, maybe it would make sense. And then we'd be like, oh, cool. This is like a new, a new thing. I really liked uh, the high frame rate by the third Hobbit. The first Hobbit, it was one of the most <laughs> horrifying effects I've ever seen. But by <laughs> Hobbit 3, I thought it looked really fucking good. Interesting. Um, so that's that's I guess why I think you could win people over is it starts to feel like the natural look and then you forget about the old one in a way that 3D never seemed to do. Although mostly I think that's my bias just because you have to wear glasses. And anything where I have to wear glasses over my glasses pisses me off. I already got glasses. If you can't do it with <laughs> the number of glasses I'm already wearing, it's not worth it. Right. Yes. That's how I um, feel. I want to. Can I? I, I want to offer up an answer to Brian's question before we. Perfect. Before we've we stalled long enough. So answer Brian's question, and then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah. So the and this is just. Uh, I didn't really go for something super. I just thought, like, what's the most recent movie I've seen that I would totally watch a a black and white version? And I'm going to say The Irishman because if that movie was in black and white, it, it's already a very long, epic, like very dramatic movie. And I just feel like in black and white, it would just be the most like oppressively dramatic movie I could come up with that I that I could just watch anytime. Uh, and and I would be interested in seeing it. Also, the de-aging effects that they did on uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and uh, what's his face? Uh, Pacino. Pacino. Those would probably look even better in black and white, to be honest. Not that they were um, bad, but one thing I did not like about The Irishman was it was this like this movie that I felt like I, I felt like I was thinking about the visual effects sometimes. And it was definitely not the type of movie where I wanted to ever be thinking about the visual effects. So I feel like in black and white, that movie, the visual effects would just kind of go right into the background and you wouldn't think about it at all. It wouldn't even occur to you that, oh, this is young Robert De Niro. I just feel like bl- black and white would kind of ground it a bit in a weird way. Which that's actually, interesting, actually that, that's a very good point where there's a distracting visual effect that would be more normal looking if the rest of the movie was already a specific look like yes. black and chrome. Yes. But that movie would be oppressive in black and white. I will say that. I, I want to be reasonable. Color, so. Yeah. 
Um, but I appreciate that you you stuck with it and you got an answer. And I appreciate Brian you writing in to ask such a filmy question. And I appreciate everybody who's written in to us, uh, and especially to the Meat Buddies uh, who um, have provided the arguments and special long questions from infrequently asked questions. You can submit both of those through the Patreon or by sending them an email. And if you haven't become a Meat Buddy, you can Metreon.com, and then you'll get your letter treated even a little bit more special. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week with another episode of season four of Rated and Weep as we will continue with our uh, evolu- our tiny evolutions. I-, I would love to get feedback on how you are enjoying the new season so far. Um, are you with my mom that's got a little too much a dick talk uh, for an episode about a Pixar movie? Or are you not? I wish I had somewhere to go with that. Anyway, uh, podcast at read-weep.com. I would love to hear from you about what you are enjoying and what you are not and helping us to improve the show as we continue on to season four. Thank you so much for hanging out. Gentlemen, thanks for being here, Anthony. This is a lot of fun. Always great talking to you. And Hunter, my boy. Good good thing. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to make you say the argument. The argument. I should really just record that and then I can play it. So I don't yeah, need to yeah, that's over. Pretty easy, but I didn't. All right. We will be back next week. And now, please take one minute of silence to think about nothing. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs>